This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew, we're going to talk about science fiction today. Ooh, my favorite kind of science and my favorite kind of fiction. But first, I want to tell you about a science fact. By combining zeros and ones and electricity and sand and RAM and fiber optics and probably other things, you can make a website. It sounds confusing, I know. No, that sounds pretty straightforward to me, but the people at home, I bet, don't understand it. So yes. can you explain it for them? Please? Here's the good news. You do not need to know anything about that because Squarespace is here to help. Squarespace empowers millions of people to make websites by providing them with the tools to bring their creative ideas to life. It's an all-in-one platform where you can build your site, claim that domain, sell stuff online, market your brand, and use analytics to see how people are using your site. They've got world-class design, including beautiful templates, with 24-7 award-winning customer support, so you can focus on turning your cool idea into a cool website and not have to worry so hard about all those bits and bytes. Here's another science fact. People who want to make great websites should go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE. To save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain, squarespace.com slash overdue, off code overdue. Now that's a fact. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We're here with another podcast. Did that, did that of, get you? I'm out of, I'm out of words. <laughs> out of words. It's good. Gonna, it's it's going to be a week. I'm just looking to the week ahead. Just like a bunch of a bunch of stuffs going to happen. It's a bunch of news in the forecast. A bunch of news, you know? It's hard to pay attention to books when you got all this news going on. Well, that's, yeah, that is very true. But we're, for an hour here together, we're just going to try and focus on the books. Andrew read a book that he's never read before. He's going to tell me about it like we do Mm -hmm. week in and week out here on Mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go home. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm already home, but. I'm, you, I am you go too. Where you want. We're gonna go home spiritually, is mm, what sure, I'm sure. saying. Um, yes, Andrew, our voices are traveling the information superhighway, but they will return home when we're done. When you're done listening to this, that's true. Uh, Andrew, Did you what, know that every time anyone anywhere listens to a podcast, the hosts have to be live. Talk. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's how it works. I wish they would invent a way for that to not have to be the case, but. Maybe One of these year. days, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, I read the book Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. I yeah. think that was the question you were kind of trying to nudge me toward. Yeah, it's true. I was nudging you in that direction. Um, it's, a, it's a science fiction book. It is part of a trilogy, though there's also been like a couple of short stories and uh-huh. then a fourth book that's sort of unrelated. Or I mean, it's related in that it's part of the same fictional universe, but it's sure. not part of the same like continuing storyline. Um Published in 2013, and I believe it is the only book to have read, to have uh, won, that is, Books Read Awards. <laughs> the only the only book to have won the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, and the Arthur C. Clarke Award simultaneously. Sure. Like, for the same book. They okay. didn't, win, didn't win it at the same time, I don't think. <laughs> they just threw a bunch of awards at, at a paperback book all at once. Mm-hmm. 
That's how books get awards. Um, it's worth shouting out. This is a Patreon recommendation from Don. Thank you, Don. Did Don uh, have anything to say about this? Yeah, Don said it's ostensibly on, just a space opera, but it has really nice themes about gender and identity. For instance, the main sci-fi society, Don says, has only one slash no gender concept, and all characters are denoted with she, a very interesting reading experience. I'm sure we'll talk about that, though there's probably Mm -hmm. other things to talk about as well. Yeah, I got some stuff from Lecky on that, and And I guess from from me, too. (laughs) Great. Yes. Uh, And uh, I'm glad that Anne wrote you an email that you could read on air. No. Um, And Don just says, thanks for the fun podcast. So thanks, Don, for your support. Patreon.com slash pod if you want to be cool like Don. Um, you said this like was, Don. yeah, <laughs> for once uh, you said this was part of the Imperial Rat Ratch trilogy. I, let's say Ratch because ratch. or Radich, either Rad Ratch or Radich, like Great. Radish. Cool. Um, she says she definitely says in the pronunciation guide on her site that CH is like a hard, like a cheese or chess. Great. Helpful. It's, a, it's the R-A-D before that that we're stumbling on. Let's say Radich. Radich. All right, great. Radich-chewy. Um, it was optioned for television in 2014 before the third book had come out. Um, I don't know if the second book had come out at that point by, or not. Uh, she wrote a blog about it basically saying like, hey, maybe one day in the future someone will make a TV show, but that's what options mean. I yep. don't know. Um, and she... Wrote a little bit about, you know, having voiced her concerns about it being adapted for TV and like how would they capture the POV? How would they capture, how would they represent gender the way the book does? Would it not get whitewashed the way that other properties have when they are adapted for television? Um, There's a production company behind things that include Burn Notice Mm. and The Americans. Okay. Running the I trust, gamut. I trust the Americans yes. a little bit more than I trust Burden Notice. That's true. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, as we've said, a, a highly regarded, critically acclaimed sci-fi series. People would be fools not to pick it up for their streaming services at some point because there's just more content every day out there. More content. Yep. Please. Um, I guess sci-fi stuff's probably more expensive to make than just like six hot people sitting in their apartment making jokes yeah. you know yeah it's true that's very true that's why all the sci-fi channel movies looked bad for so long because it's harder to make a cool looking alien yeah or a sharknado well i liked that tornado anyway uh Anne Leckie, per her website, quote, has worked as a waitress, a receptionist, a rodman on a a land surveying crew, and a recording engineer. She lives in St. Louis, Missouri. She was born in 1966 in Toledo, Ohio. Um, Was interested in sci-fi. Go Buckeyes. In sci-fi. From a young age, I found um, one interview with her. I think it was a tour interview where she talked about getting into the boys club of sci-fi that was the the author of the interviews framing um and she spoke a little bit about like not knowing that it was a boys club when she was just like a 10 year old reading books um and went to an all-girls high school so then like when she first got into the genre it was just a thing that she was into and no one else was which is its own alienating experience Mm -hmm. um and it wasn't until college where she kind of like 
caught wind of people's preconceived notions of the genre and the industry. Yeah, I think um, especially pre-internet college is kind of where you go to shed some of your yes, <laughs> some of your pre- preconceived notions, and also to to meet other groups of like-minded weirdos. It's still college still serves that purpose, but the internet yes. gives gives people more space to meet weirdos too. True, 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 true. Which all the people, all the weirdos listening to this right now, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says in that same interview where this series kind of comes from stylistically. Uh, as to where Ancillary Justice fits in the tradition of space opera, I'm not sure. I don't have a fixed map or a hierarchy or anything. Sometimes I think of it like a big family with aunts and grandmothers and cousins and everyone's related some way or another, but it can be complicated to work out uh, and it mostly doesn't matter as except as idle conversation at the reunion. I like her phrase, it's a book with a lot of mothers and grandmothers. Um, she cites an author named Andre Norton, uh, which was the pen name of Alice Mary Norton, who's a pioneering woman sci-fi author in the mid-20th century. Um, C.J. Cherry. She's also gotten some comparisons to E.N.M. Banks, but I think that's mostly because he wrote some books that have ships that have consciousness, which I think we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What else? There's one other thing I wanted to make sure I talked about. Oh, she she got into writing professionally after she started a family, um, was not in the workforce. She was raising her kids. And I think there's a quote where she's like, my brains were leaking out of my ears. <laughs> like she had two kids and was like hungry for an intellectual creative project, um, dove into... NaNoWriMo. This was not a NaNoWriMo book, but that got her over the hump as like, oh, I can, yeah, I can do, I can yeah, do something I with the story I've been kicking around. I haven't done it myself, and I don't like this. This is just my impression of how it goes. I don't think the point of NaNoWriMo is always to turn out a publishable work of fiction. Yeah, <laughs> I think it is just as much to prove to yourself that you can do it, or to like break through preconceived notions that you have about how hard it is to write a thing yeah. or to to reinforce preconceived notions <laughs> and to kind of disabuse yourself of, of notions. I guess it just depends on who you are as a person. Sure. But, um, yeah. And I do want to say I, I share that anecdote about her starting writing while she was raising kids and like that quote that she gave not to like disparage folks who are raising their kids in their house, but just like that is a story I know has cropped up in a lot of author bios we've read where folks, you know, make a career change after they start their family and they figure out what they want to do, you know, with their own like interests after that point, you know, Mm -hmm. when their kids are young and cannot have cool conversations with them um, about (laughs) space or whatever yet. I don't know. Um, But after it's more that what, and this is just speaking as a relatively new parent. Sure. Hit me. You just, you have the kid and then you're like, how will I ever have, the time or space to think about my career and my place in the universe like ever, ever again. <laughs> Except relative to this child. Yeah. So sure. I think is more, yeah, like I, I, I find that sort of thing, I don't know if inspiring is the right word, reassuring, I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe one day my brain will reorient itself to so i'd feel something like i used to like five years ago i don't know we'll see. I, I still like hanging out with your brain i do it every week Oof. Oof. it's a choice i make every week andrew mm, yes. think about that yeah. um and this book 
I believe came out of work that she accomplished at the Clarion West Workshop, um, which was founded in Seattle in the 70s and has continued annually since the 80s. She studied with Octavia Butler, among some other authors. It's like a six-week workshop where I think you're kind of required to write a new story every week and get a bunch of critique and feedback, and you're not supposed to bring in stuff you're already working on, which seems like a pretty good rule to have. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, And yeah, so from there, she embarked on getting this series together, and this is like, she started in short stories, but she finds herself more comfortable or at least more excited to write novels, even though I think she can, you know, has gotten some acclaim for her short story work too. Um, yeah, I want to hear more about this book because from everything I've read, it sounds like she's doing some cool stuff, but I don't know how subverting it is of other genre tropes or not. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm not going to say that it, I mean, aside from some of the gender stuff, which we can talk about. Yeah. I feel like many of the sort of concepts in here I had sort of run into and other things. Not to say not to say that that's bad because sure, yeah. there are no nude stories anymore. There are no I'm sure somebody's <laughs> recorded this exact podcast episode. Yeah. At some true. point like no nothing new under the sun. But it, infinite white men with infinite microphones will make the exact podcast that we are making right now. <laughs> But let's take a quick break and we'll record, you know, we'll have a we'll have a break in the message, a message in the break that is unique to us. And then we'll come back and you will tell me about the book. Craig, you like books, right? I'm here, aren't I? (laughs) That's true. You are. Well, if you like books and you like podcasts, we have good news for you. We would like to tell you about Broccoli Book Club. It's a first-of-its-kind podcast exploring works from some of the most savvy and talented authors on topics ranging from technology to postpartum to history. I've listened to uh, what is up. This podcast like just started this month. If you like to try and read along with us, but we are throwing too many books at you, um, it's, it's a chance to read like one book at a more leisurely pace and absorb all kinds of different facts and perspectives about it. So uh, they release two episodes a month. Uh, the first one is a... Uh, a discussion with the host Diora Chajanova and a couple of guests about a book that they've chosen. And then two weeks later, she releases a an interview with her and the author. So they talk about it again. Cool. I'm not sure. There are probably some of our the episodes of our show where I wouldn't want <laughs> I wouldn't want to have the author on after. But this it sounds like a really neat idea. So um yeah, it's focused on uh, learning and exploring new topics and you know the the issues of the day. They're available on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. Broccoli Book Club. New episodes come out bi-weekly on Thursdays. Go check it out. Is space the final frontier, Andrew? There are parts of the sea we haven't explored yet, is the thing. Because yeah. it's too deep down there. It's true. In some ways, that space exploration is easier than exploring way down there in the deep. <laughs> Do you go to one of those big scrolling infographics that shows you all the weird fish that live down there where it's dark? And it's like, we don't know what's going on down there. What are those nasty fish doing down there where it's dark? That's the final frontier. I was I was just struck <laughs> by a thought that, like, there could be a fish down there who knows how to play cards. There could be a fish down there who thinks he invented cards because he doesn't talk to anybody. <laughs> I like that he thinks he invented cards, but he didn't. 
<laughs> we invented cards. <laughs> Suck it, fish. You didn't invent <laughs> cards. You sucker but fish. He, anyway, but he thinks that he he invented them in parallel, or she or they invented them in parallel with humans. But we got there first, I think. Do you think it was a card shark? Ooh, that's a good joke. That's a funny joke. Thanks. Good job with that joke. Nice. Reward me for my joke with info about this book, Ancillary Justice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Ancillary Justice, sci-fi book. It's about, <laughs> So the main thing that it's about is what if an intergalactic, interstellar empire, but also collective consciousness? Uh-huh. And I'm not, I'm not saying like the Borg. It's not a giant society-wide collective consciousness that erases everybody's distinctiveness and makes it their own. It's <laughs> every like battleship or or big ship, every any ship that is staffed. It, the <laughs> image that came to mind may, was like a Battlestar Galactica. Sure, like if you're thinking like a Battlestar-sized ship. Like a freighter, like a space yeah, like a big kind of aircraft carrier, or troop transport yeah. sort of thing. If that, if every ship was run by a collective consciousness, okay, that took the form of a bunch of people, humans, who had, let's be clear, been violently absorbed into service by this giant intergalactic empire. Whoa! <laughs> so we can talk about that because that factors in to the different factions that are fighting each other in this book. Okay. But yeah, every uh, every ship is just a bunch of nodes of of human AI people and this is where they're called ancillaries. This is where the ancillary part of the of the book its title comes from. Sure. And then the justice part. I mean, I guess you could argue that <laughs> justice is being done, but no, the starship that our protagonist is is named the Justice of Torin. Okay, is the cool. name of the starship. Um, so the book for the first two thirds of it or so is flashing back and forth between now and like twenty years before. Um, we are following this individual person around, like in the first chapter, and they seem a little like they are going through the motions of being a an individual human person as they. Uh, you know, do business transactions and get uh, fooled, not even fooled. They get taken advantage of by some unscrupulous businessmen, but then they also uh, kill the people who <laughs> took advantage of them. Good. Okay. When they try, it's, it's this thing where they like sell her and like a, like a flyer, you know, whatever the name for a small, like single engine airplane would be in a sure. sci-fi universe. Yeah. Whatever. And they make it look like it has more gas in the tank than it does. And then she has to land, make an emergency landing. And then they are supposed to come and find her and the, and the plane and kill her and take all her stuff and then bring the plane back. But she kills them instead. So she doesn't seem quite human. She does seem pretty competent. Okay. We know that. Sure. Um, and then we find out in another chapter that says 20 years before I was a spaceship. Basically. I was a spaceship. <laughs> that's not what it says, but that's, <laughs> that's the effect is like, she starts talking about like being aware of her hull and stuff. And that's Ooh. how you become aware that she was a spaceship. <laughs> but the book doesn't start with you knowing that. 
No, the book doesn't start with you knowing that. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, you're just you're following around this mysterious individual, and then after that, you find oh, this was person was was a spaceship. Is a spaceship was is oh man, does that get confusing? No, because the the in between these two time periods, the ship and most of the AI units are destroyed. Oh. And so the person who you're actually following around, whose name is Breck, I think you would pronounce it. Yeah. Um, she is the she is both an individual now because she has become separated from this collective consciousness, but at the same time she also, you know, she she remembers all the stuff that like happened to her when she was a collective consciousness. Like when she was part of this bigger whole unit, you know? Yeah. Does that it, I reckon she wants to get back to that. That seems like that would suck to not be that anymore. I mean, she can't because they were destroyed. Could she do could she do it new? I'm not the book doesn't mm. make that clear. You do okay. see one extremely creepy scene <laughs> where a new so they keep humans like in cold storage basically. Cool. And wake them up when they need to add a new node to this AI thing. But like with that, it's not clear to me how the ship is actually integrated into all of this. Like, I guess the ship would be part of the consciousness. And so maybe without the actual ship part, you can't add new stuff. You can't add like new people nodes to your ship network. (laughs) Okay. But it's possible that subsequent books explore this a little bit further and like open the possibility that she could like rebuild yeah sure her own collective thing but that's it's not presented as an option in this book okay so she she is trying to i guess get revenge on the people who did this to her and and her loved ones but it's not about like getting back to being a a spaceship yeah i read i don't remember which review i read like said it kind of had a pretty simple at the I guess at the emotional core of the story has like a simple like I've been wronged I'm out to fix it like yeah, yeah, set up yeah, that's pretty much it kind mm-hmm. of grind Corey like Who's kill Corey? Billy kind of why would you grind Corey jeez okay uh so what else do we learn as the book is getting set up in terms of how the world works? You alluded to a big empire, but then we got really focused on the fact that a lady was a ship. Well, because because all the this empire's main like military force is a bunch of like con- ship consciousnesses. Okay, whose job it is to go out and conquer new planets. And thus both replenish the supply of ancillaries and also to create new land and wealth for like new members of the society to like move on up in the world. So this, Hmm. like many empires, this, this empire creates opportunities for individuals by offering seemingly limitless expansion and then. At a societal level, stuff starts to break down when that expansion stops being possible or start just stops being uh, done. Yeah. And you kind of this happened to the Roman Empire. <laughs> I think this probably arguably happened to the British Empire and the American Empire. All yeah. Empire seems in, seems pretty intrinsic to how to be an empire is to get 
not to be too big to fail, but to get too big and fail. That's really <laughs> seems like the arc. Well, because you you get too big and then expansion stops being practical or possible. Yeah. And then all the people who are currently at the top are like, well, I got mine. So screw all you guys down there. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. If anybody's listening, who's uh, who is planning to leave for Mars based on the current state of earth right now yeah you're part of the problem <laughs> i mean I'm listen listen say. listen elon musk this you hear about this guy this this smart cookie elon musk gonna let people fly to mars and then he's not gonna charge him anything but he, when they get to mars they can just work off their their debt to him yeah i guess the Implication being that he would strand you on Mars <laughs> if you chose not to participate in this in this indentured servitude. But indentured, he's got it all. He's yep. got it all taken care of. Indentured Marsitude mm. for a Marsy dude. I don't. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's not called indentured Earthitude. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's fair. That's okay. Fine. You got me. <laughs> not every joke works. Yeah. Um, well, you got to test him though. So the, so that's the kind of macro civilization level stuff that's going on is this giant empire, which has been very successful and very conquerous. Conquerous. Yeah. Not every word works. <laughs> it's okay. Empi- empire, which is characterized by its conquerousness. Yeah. Is at an inflection point where they have decided apparently to stop this unlimited expansion. And it has caused a little bit of like unrest in the ranks of you know families who want to be moving up through this society can i ask a question about who are the families are they families of ships that are like no it's it's like families of aristocrats not everybody ships ships are kind of appliances i guess for lack of a better word okay okay that that is helpful in my brain this was just a culture of a bunch of spaceships no, no, no. The sp- I mean, the spaceships are spaceships, and then yeah. everybody, like the other people, are individuals. And you have lurking under here somewhere a uh, Game of Thronesian like house system where oh. different families and stuff are all like vying for influence. But that is not the story that this is. The okay. story sure. is about the ships. Okay, cool. But it's not like every family is like its own collective consciousness. Now, the leader of the society, whose name is Anander Mianai. Yep. is a collective consciousness. So Makes sense. Put that in, put that in your back pocket. Yeah, sure. Um, so in the past timeline, you've got uh, Justice of Torin, who is a collective consciousness of a bunch of people. They're on this planet that has has just been absorbed into the Empire and is the last or one of the last planets that is going to be conquered under this old like outgoing system. Man, sucks to be them. <laughs> they almost yeah. made it out. <laughs> and so you've got. Uh, some scenes of this planet kind of being assimilated like they they try to uh incorporate like existing social structures and existing religions and like they they just automatically extend citizenship to whoever was on top of the society that already existed on the planet and i mean they do kill a lot of people also don't get don't get it twisted yeah but they know how to make it so that a couple generations in your planet's going to feel about as much like the empire as any other planet does. Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. Checks um, out. So you are you're seeing Justice of Torin and 
the like lieutenant who is in charge of like keeping the peace on this planet and helping with the transition. Um, and so the ships are collective consciousnesses, but they aren't like just robots. They, they do have like feelings and they do like play favorites sometimes with their ancillaries. Like they have favorite. No, no, not with the ancillaries, like the, the ships collectively have people like officers on them who serve on them, who they like better than the other officers. (laughs) And toward the end of the book, it's, it's presented as like, a. Uh, Breck is talking to um, this this ward of theirs who they like save and then who who follows her around like through the rest of the through the rest of the book and Breck is like have you ever been on a ship and then you got transferred and like suddenly for reasons that you couldn't quite put your finger on your life just seemed a lot like easier and more pleasant than it was (laughs) is probably because the old ship didn't like you very much (laughs) And it's not like it's going to like mutiny and like disobey your orders and stuff. It is just like it is not going to like say that you were going to order a sandwich and like maybe the ship brings you all the stuff for the sandwich, but it's like not heated up or like it's not all put together. The like, lettuce has a little bit of black stuff on it. Yeah, like they'll just they'll just stop, you know. Also trying to follow like the implied directions and anything you tell them to do. They start getting super literal about everything that you ask them to do. <laughs> okay. Sure. It's like if like you get in an elevator and you have to tell it separately to close the doors to go to the floor you want and then to open the doors because the God. elevator is being a jerk to you because it doesn't like you. <laughs> well, this, this is fun because it's like we personify... A lot of our appliances, our machines, like I, we do it to animals too. We anthropomorphize animals, but I do think that like even below that, because they are sentient creatures. No, ma- no matter how many smart devices you attach to your car, it doesn't have sentience yet. But I mean, it, I've seen some cars with headlights and grills that look a lot like a smiley face. I've seen those Twitter accounts too. It's true. That's yeah. out there. But I mean, it does the cars in the movie Cars where the and okay. we're not gonna. I promise we're okay. not gonna talk about the movie okay. cars very much. But the ones where the eyes are the windshield—that's bad. The yeah. headlights are the eyes. That would hurt if a windshield went across your eyes. If a windshield wiper went across your eyes, that would hurt. It would hurt. And also, I just don't want my eyes to be that much of my face, <laughs> just proportionally. <laughs> it seems like it would be hard not to get stuff in there. Yes, sure. But I'm I am talking about the way in which you have something like a car that is complicated enough that it starts to like act and behave in ways that are particular to it. So then you start to ascribe personality to it. Like if its brakes mm. are a little funky or one of the doors sticks or sure, like a like a Tesla. Yeah, I was just talking about Elon Musk again because that guy bring he's it back so smart. He makes these really super smart, good cars that seem He's, like a member of the family, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I know what you mean. It's mostly a car, a cheap, like your first car. Your first car has a lot of character. Yeah. And you begin to <laughs> to ascribe uh, human characteristics to it 
like my friend Paul who called his first car Britney because it shimmied when he started it up. Oh my God. <laughs> Britney as in Britney Spears. This is to, yeah. to like age us a little bit. Yes, I I figured as much. Um, but in this universe, these are actual people. Like the, the ship is a person. Yeah. Or I mean, it's people. It's multiple people. Sure. But also sometimes it's individual people. Like How does couple, that work? So Go, give a me that times, thing. A couple times before Breck gets kind of cut off from the rest of the, the justice of Torin because it gets destroyed. There are moments where whatever like network it is that's connecting all these different AI units together does get like interrupted. And suddenly it's just like every node is there for is just an individual consciousness again. And it's not like they're the people who they were before they were joined to this like ancillary network. Like they're still justice of Torin, but they have to like, they don't know where anything is. They only have like one set of eyes that they can see out of. Uh, there's a passage that I highlighted. That I won't, um, I, I had once had 20 bodies, 20 pairs of eyes and hundreds of others that I could access if I needed or desired it. Now I could only see in one direction, could only see the vast expanse behind me. If I turned my head and blinded myself to what was in front of me, usually I dealt with this by avoiding two open spaces by making sure of just what was at my back. But here that was impossible. Hmm. So imagine being a consciousness who could kind of see everything and hear everything and then just having to be a person with your own dumb eyes and ears to tell you everything about what was going on in the world. Yeah. I'm talking about this a lot because it's like the most interesting yeah. thing that the book is doing. But I mean, you also need to know about it to understand the rest of what's going on. But yeah. it, it is the, it's the most unique thing I think the book is doing. And it, you asked me to think about collective consciousness ahead of time. Um, it remind it actually feels, I don't know. It feels modern in a way that, other stories with collective consciousnesses that I can think of aren't like the the framing that I'm used to is something like the Zerg from Starcraft or the buggers from Ender's Game or other or even I think one of the earliest sci-fi books that has like some sort of collective consciousness in it is like an H.G. Wells book about moon mm -hmm. bug people or something like the you're looking for a consciousness that is something other than human. So the author looks around and goes, well, bugs are different. And ants, <laughs> ants have a hive mind thing. Bees have like a queen and a, a hive colony kind of thing. Let's go there. And then you get a little bit of like, once the internet happened, I'm sure there are examples before the internet, but I'm, I think once the idea of, computers and networked information happened that probably changed a little bit some of the later enders books get into that as well i guess but well let's also not discount the uh what the entire post-world war ii american experience where individualism is yes. good yes and collectivism is bad that's the other thing i wrote <laughs> down so, yeah 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 well like, yeah and so i think you get a lot of things where oh any any collective consciousness would just iron out the uniqueness of each individual and that would be possibly the worst thing that could happen that's at the heart right of um what I mean, the that's Madeline? the Borg. That's the Borg, and what's the Madeline Lengel book? The famous Wrinklin Time. That's what's going yeah. on in Wrinklin Time. Wrinklin, the Wrinklin Time. Um, but yeah, the Borg is like we we are robots, and we'll destroy your identity, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's resistance is futile. Yes, it is. It is, of course. Um, futile, not like futile. <laughs> sure. Um, and there's other examples that are more like a actually something similar to what was going on in the shared earth magic from obelisk gate where it's like you are choosing to network with other people to like make yourself stronger feel like just to get out there and you know create new job opportunities for yourself yeah you got to do some you know know, icebreakers and you know bring your resume with you yeah Mm -hmm. um but this feels to me closer to something like did you see the movie her that one where her the one where Scarlett Johansson was the voice. No, of I, I know of it, but that, something that, that guy has like a mustache. Yeah, he does. Joaquin, That's the one, right? Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, he has like a mustache, like a bad mustache. <laughs> he has a bad mustache, and he Her falls in love mustache. with a with a iPhone app that has sentience. Um, and Amy yeah, her, if there? you if you Google her mustache movie, you do get the mustache. Great, perfect. And that's one where he has a conversation with the with the 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 AI program like about two-thirds of the way through where she is living like multiple lives like because she exists on a different scale from him she he just like literally can't fathom what it is to be her and i think that is a thing that gets at like kind of the difference between us as individuals and something like you know what social networks actually are and how they function relative to the rest of mankind um and what the internet has created even though there's a bunch of just like individual bad actors on the internet, but that's different. I mean, like hive mind stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just thinking about how this seems different. This does seem substantively different from other depictions of a collective consciousness. Did you mm-hmm. feel that, like, as someone who's steeped in the Borg? Are you a Borg? You never told I'm me. I'm not a Borg, and I was just. I don't want to get tweets. It's a. It's not a bad mustache. It's just, just a lot of mustache. It's a capital M mustache. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question? I'm like, not a Borg. You're no, not a Borg. I'm not a Borg. We aren't a Borg. What are you talking I'm not a Borg. This collect... Uh, oh, that's my question. Because these people are are conquered from other planets, right? Does the book meditate at all on the like the horror of the erasure of the individual? Or is because it's told through the perspective of a collective consciousness, that's not a concern? It comes up toward the end, okay. which we can talk about, but it's not, the book isn't about that. book is not about that. The okay. book isn't about, like, an, a person external to this empire being horrified about the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about their their people being, like, absorbed into these ship beings. Okay. It's, it's not about that. Okay. Um. So, okay, that's what the past is about. Sure. Well, I don't even know if I've gone on. Hit me. And in the future... Or the the present, I guess, would be the future from the past. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, you've got Breck, who used to be Justice Vitor, and you do figure that out pretty quick. But you're not 100% sure what her mission is. Mm. Uh, but then she says, I'm going to kill Anander, me and I. I'm going to kill the, the, the collective person who is in charge of this giant empire okay okay gonna kill her and it is revealed through jumping back and forth you you put together a picture of what happened so what happens is that one of the bodies of anander me and i comes to this planet and 
is doing some some screwy stuff doing is playing like local politics and in the course of this gets one of justice of Torin's favorite people like one of one of the ship's favorite you know crew members killed mm. and that particularly resonates with the node of this ai who who becomes breck like you do on you do come to understand which one of the various like AI units is the, is the main character of the book. Okay. So like justice of Torin collectively at the bidding of, of Anander, like the, this, because you know, she is the, she's the ruler of the society. She's the empress. Anything she says goes justice of Torin does kill this, this, you know, her favorite person at the, you know, at the behest of the, of the Empress, but this drives one of the nodes who spent like the most time with her administering this planet kind of mad mm. and she has to just run for it. Okay. Um, and yeah, so, so that happens. And so that is why Breck is on the war path. Um, but you also find out that there's this weird thing going on where, Anander is not actually one collective consciousness anymore, but there was like one heinous like planet destruction takeover thing that went so badly that the, the consciousness was basically like of two minds about it, like couldn't figure out how it felt about it. And so now she's split up and she's fighting herself like collectively. And so you don't know when you see one of her bodies, like which team the body is on. Oh, (laughs) dang. And you don't even know if they all know that they're fighting against it. Like it becomes this thing where one collective consciousness has two, at least two factions and they're trying to like hide stuff from each other. <laughs> oh my God. That's cool. Yeah. So that's like the one group of one group of Anders comes to justice of Torin and sort of code some secret, like Manchurian candidate stuff into, into the ship. And then another group comes and, and Breck and justice of Torin, like as a, as a, as a body, like figures out, that the only way that stuff that the only way that the stuff that went down on that planet makes sense is if, is if whoever controls this, if, if there are two people who control this empire and cause there's only one person who controls this empire, it must be because the collective consciousness is fighting against itself. Man. Okay. I like that. It like takes the premise of here's how collective consciousness works and the stakes of the conflict necessitate an escalation of that trope that's kind of cool okay but like the two sides of this of this conflict end up being one side wants to keep the society going as it has gone wants to keep like endless expansion and annexing things because it makes the society easy the other side of anander like i don't i don't know that you could say this person is a pacifist exactly but they are in fa- they want to stop using the ancillaries. They want to stop conquering new worlds. Like they acknowledge that like there, th- there's a conversation about, you know, how many of the ships now are run by, you know, just regular human crews, which comes with regular human inefficiency. And 
nobody like everybody's saying oh it was, it was better when we had the ancillaries like everything just kind of ran better when we had the ancillaries and then other people are like but that's those were those that that was messy that was sucked in different <laughs> ways because those were people and yeah. then we made them be like nodes of our ai the book is like pointedly not interested in some kind of internal conflict within Breck between like the justice of Tor and con. Uh, yeah, sure. And whoever this person was before. And even on the, on the like individual level, there are, there are people who find out, you know, that she is an ancillary, that she used to be this whole ship. And like, is she still an individual person like worthy of, of you know forming relationships with and and like having feelings for or do you have to be like your own individual person like which which of this body's consciousnesses mm. is <laughs> is like worthy of like being considered as a as a person or as an individual does that make sense yeah like, no that makes total sense yeah because just because this body used to be somebody else does that mean that this the consciousness that inhabits it now does that mean that that it's it's worth less yeah less uh-huh. of a person yeah like yeah okay the book kind of wrestles with that stuff but internally she Breck is not doing that stuff. So, so, you know, it's, it's brought up a couple times, but it's not like core to the conflict of the, of the thing. It's not, it's not a thing where two, this is another sci-fi trope. I think where like two consciousnesses in one body are like fighting each other. Yeah, sure. Do you, did you find Breck as a like POV character? Interesting, like hard to hang out with. No, she was fun to hang out with. I mean, okay. fun is yeah, yeah. Like her life's not great. <laughs> engaging to hang but out with, yeah, in, definitely engaging because you do. You are always talking about this division between like what happens when somebody who was part of a collective stops being part of a collective, and and TNG does this with the Borg sometimes, but sure. it's you know these people are cut off from the Borg, and so they revert to being who they were before they were part of the Borg. That's not what this book is doing. This is, this person is cut off. And so they are still that consciousness, but they are just one person now instead of a bunch of people. Okay. How do do they navigate that? So it's, it's interesting. And insofar as it's a different, it's different from how the, the stuff I'm used to handles that question. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make sure we don't, skip over the gender thing which you mentioned can you yeah can I, you keep, explain I keep it using succinctly? i keep using they and she sort of interchangeably but that's not how the book does it. okay um the so this is this is from lecky talking about um just how she how she wrote the book and then how that informed how she like sees the characters um she says uh, the use of she was intended as a translation convention. Uh, the Ratchai language not only doesn't use gendered pronouns for people, uh, but gender is not relevant to them. So if here on Earth we were translating something from Finnish, which doesn't use gendered pronouns, we'd have to figure out what gender to use when transferring those pronouns to English, which do require gender. In the case of Finnish, which isn't, so far as I know, spoken in a culture where gender is irrelevant, there are several other cues to give us that information. Names, particular articles of clothing, etc., um, and then the, uh, this is from a Q and a page that she wrote. Yep. Um, so the Q is, so what gender is character? Um, and Lecky says, I probably don't know because it didn't matter to the story. And because the, because of the pronoun choice I'd made, I didn't have to figure it out. 
Um, how did that? How did it work for you? It's it's interesting because I do. You use you, you every character is referred to as she. Okay, which means that my brain sort of created like traditionally feminine i guess sort of rough sketches of them yep but she is really careful never to almost never does she actually comment on what any particular person looks like beyond like skin color or like i don't know just like just like very general characteristics that would not require you to assign uh, like a typical gender role to them one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned whitewashing earlier. A lot of characters in this are specifically mentioned as having dark skin, which I okay. thought was interesting, but yeah. it's not like, again, it, it is not commented on any more than in passing because I don't think she wants to make a big deal out of it because <laughs> not making a big deal out of it is the point that she's trying to make. Yes. You know, uh-huh. so. I'm interested. Uh, you said the thing that I think she is going for. So in the tour interview that I mentioned from 2014 with Liz Bork, uh, she said, um, she talked about potentially using a gender neutral pronoun, um, like E or Z, like Z I E. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says it would have produced an interesting effect, but it would have lost the way that she automatically goes straight to the reader's perceptions. She yeah, says that's yeah, not yeah. the best way to say it, but the very long familiarity that longtime English speakers have with those pronouns um, means that we react to them without thinking much about it. She could have just told someone about the masculine default and have them understand the idea. It's another thing to demonstrate it to your reader in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that interview, she goes on to say that like, if she were starting from scratch, she might not do it the same way. She under she has heard both, you know, supportive and critical arguments of how she's deployed it. Um, and she just seems very interested in the question and wanted to produce a particular audience effect. Um, sounds like it worked for you in that regard but yeah i think i think on that and on that front it was successful and like it the book does make you sometimes run into people who are not speaking this like radish language okay who do use different pronouns for characters who have otherwise been referred to as she because you've known them mostly through breck's perspective huh which i think i thought was an interesting like lifting of whatever you know veil it is that she is is trying to create with this effect but yeah i thought it was it definitely makes you stop to think about it and gives you like something to to chew on and to talk about which i feel like is at least like i don't know like a quarter of the point of (laughs) sci-fi is just to, to like really make you think about how different the society is from our society and why and what that means yeah um so yeah, like I, I, I don't know. I, I can't say anything smarter about it than than that. I, I would be curious to know, um, if if um any like non-binary or, or trans people had had written about this or thought about it and had different like a different perspective on it. But as as a reader, this that was what I came from. She, came away from it. With. She yeah. mentioned that in one interview. I don't have it in front of me. I don't know which one it was. Where she, folks responded to those moments where non-Radich people uh, are effectively misgendering characters in a way mm-hmm. that was like not an enjoyable reading experience for some folks. And she's like, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, but to your, and I, and I can see an argument that like, like, are they, or are, is it yeah. just that the default perspective doesn't understand those separations to exist? Yeah, it's, but I, I, I but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that wouldn't be uncomfortable because, yeah, yeah. like clearly being misgendered all the time is something that non-binary and trans people have to put up with all the time. So like, I'm not going to tell them this. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Just creating a fictional effect, whatever. (laughs) The, the thing you did say before I brought that up and derailed you though, that I want to get back to apologies is that there's a good quote from the Seattle review of books uh, on this book. Um, The author says, uh, she's constructed a society in which gender is irrelevant, even down to a language that lacks gender words. This is beyond refreshing. Um, They, I often rage about the older sci-fi novelists' failure of vision. They spent their creative energies thinking through the technical implications of an invention, yet still assumed that society would continue into the 2300s as if it were in the 1950s. And that's a thing I saw in a couple different like reviews of this book, which is like, if the goal of sci-fi is to imagine other you know, ways of living and what that looks like and what that feels like, there is certainly a lot of sci-fi that lacks a certain amount of imagination. Yeah, like how can we keep inventing patriarchies? Yeah. I mean, this happens in fantasy all the time too. Like all that stuff in Game of Thrones is like, why is everybody, why is everybody white? And like, why are, why is it mostly guys who Mm -hmm. are running everything with like a couple of notable exceptions? And all the fans are like, well, that's just how it would have been. And back in those days, it's like, isn't the back in what days there's dragons. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. So at the very least, this seems like this is like a really unique or at least like rare instance of a, of a way to portray that difference. So it's definitely different. Yeah. It's definitely non-typical. Cool. Uh, anything so else yeah, you want to say like, about like, the most ending of- or anything like that that you alluded to? I don't think I really want to like spoil the particulars. Okay. I don't guess, except that like the protagonists win, sure, the conflict or appear to. Okay, and there are two more books that come after this. One. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Could could you see where it's going to go? Do you have a sense of where it like? Are there hooks, or is this more like a? Oh, there there are definitely. I mean, there are there are hooks in the way that. I'm trying to think of a of a work to compare it to, but like Breck becomes like a captain of another ship at the end. Oh, that's a fun. And it's not like a new like AI thing in the ship, but like as an Breck as an individual becomes the captain of a of another ship. And some of the like Scooby Gang that sh- that she amasses <laughs> around herself throughout the the course of this also choose to come with her on okay. That. So yeah, like that that's the hook for the next one is did you like these characters at all? Well, they're all gonna be partying on the ship in the next one. I mean, probably not partying, but they're all gonna be together and having further adventures. Yeah. Doesn't that sound fun? Doesn't sound yeah, cool. Um well, if folks wanna write in and tell us what they named their first car. You can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, twitter.com, facebook.com, overduepod. Thanks to Nadia, Amanda, Michelle, Kevin, Bridget, Lena, Alicia, Lucas, Nadi, Victoria, Tom, and many more for reaching out over the past week. Thanks to Nick Larangis, who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have links to Apple Podcasts and Google 
and our RSS feed. We're also on Stitcher and Spotify and all the other places where podcasts exist. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash overdue pod, as Craig has mentioned. Uh, you can also go to overduepodcast.com and click the links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Buy them from bookshop.org. Uh, we get a cut. Your local independent bookseller gets a cut and you get a book. Everybody wins. Yep. Uh, next week, Craig, Craig yep. is going to read. Uh, the Fat Woman Next Door is Pregnant by Michelle Tremblay. Look at me. I did it right that time. Yeah. And we are also going to start our next long read project soon. Have we announced this on the main feed? I feel like we have. Yeah, we have. Jagged Little yeah. Mill. Jagged Little Mill, which is the fun, good, cool, topical, current name of our Don Quixote long read project. <laughs> Yeah, the first uh, episode re- of we're that. We're reading the Edith Groth- Grossman translation if you want to read along with us. First episode of that will be available for Patreon supporters at that tier later this month, and then it'll start hitting the main feed in months after that. So look forward to Jack and Little Mill. I'm excited to go tilt at some windmills. Yeah, me too. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, take care of yourselves this week. Yep. For reasons that for reasons. I, don't think I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.